Radio Mano Papachango. Jackson, Ohio, in a tree stand. It's 30 degrees, winds howling, first day of deer gun season. It's a little afternoon and I haven't seen anything yet, so I figured I'd give you a shout. Uh, thanks for the podcast. I love it. And I love the crowd that follows you and all the topics that you're not afraid of. So keep up the good work, brother. Yeah. Oh, oh shit. There's a big buck coming. I gotta go. See ya. Chris Ryan. I'm Oscar from Kenya, living in Japan for the past four years. I just moved out of Osaka and I'm currently living in Kyushu as of yesterday. That is Saturday, sorry, Monday, the 24th of September. And damn, I've been living in Osaka for too long that I forgot how the night sky looks like. I'm out here at 12.25 a.m. I just missed my last train and I have to walk home. Because apparently the last trains in Kyushu stop at goddamn 11 p.m. <laughs> so I had to walk home for two hours. And I realized I can see the stars at night. And damn, it feels good. It feels really good to see this. So thank you so much for your podcast. As I'm walking home, I'm listening to you. And most, uh, what's his name? Money Mustache talking about the future and my future. And thank you so much for everything. Have a good day, everyone. Hi, Chris. This is Monique from Melbourne, down in the land of Oz. I was just listening to your second to last podcast where you mentioned that you bought some land, and I actually physically aloud said, holy shit, that's awesome. And I think upon reflecting on that moment, I had uh, an opposite realization that you've had which is you think it's amazing that you have all these people who listen to you and who know you but you don't know them and I realized that I'm genuinely excited for you a person who I don't really know but I feel like I know because you've been in my ears for however many years you have been now so I just want to say that I'm excited for you having bought land and um, I'm looking forward to hearing what you do next thank you hi to everybody out there have fun Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for that. Bob, Oscar, and woman in Australia with land. If you mentioned your name, I missed it. Thank you. It's always so nice to hear from you folks. Uh, it makes me feel less alone in this crazy world we're living in. And I hope uh, I hope it has the same effect on you, all of you. If you want to say hello, send me an email, an MP3. Keep it you know under 30 seconds if possible to intro at tangentiallyspeaking.com. Thanks. All right. I'm going to do, this is going to be aroma, uh, partly because a lot of stuff is piled up that I, I feel like chatting with you about. And uh, also because it's sort of a pivotal moment in my life. I'm leaving Topanga, moving out. Half the stuff's already in a storage locker. I'm leaving uh, Scarlett Jovanson with my buddy Oliver, uh, who did most of the work in converting it and uh, so there's a beautiful 
karmic thing there where uh, not only is it convenient for me to leave the van with someone while I go traveling, someone I trust uh, entirely, but also someone who put a lot of work into creating the van. So I'm really happy that Oliver and Cheryl are going to get to uh, enjoy the van and he's, they've got a big RV, but it's a hassle to, you know, pack that all up and get it out so they can take the van out on spontaneous weekend trips to the desert and whatever up the coast. So that makes me very happy the way that's come together. I'm leaving this apartment I've been in for three years, um, <clears throat> which, uh, you know, it kind of bums me out cause I love this place. I, I've had, um, some really important transitions happen here. And, uh, so I feel a sense of gratitude toward Topanga Canyon and this little house I've been living in and Ginger, the woman who let me live in the house where her son died from ALS years ago. Uh, it's a house that I probably told the story before, but she designed it for him as, as his health was failing. And, um, and, uh, the place just sat for six or seven years after he died with his shirts hanging in the closet and his, uh, just everything where it was. And, um, when I needed a place to come and hang out, um, in LA while my father's health was failing, she and her daughter know me generously, uh, made this place available to me. So I sort of came in and felt like, um, an honored guest of the family. And, uh, and yeah, I, I was honored that they came up and spent a couple of days, tears running down their faces, cleaning out some of the closets. So I'd have a place to hang my shirts and, um, and, uh, just sort of processing some of the grief that had been on hold for, uh, for years on my behalf for me. So yeah, this is a special place. And, um, anyway, so I'm going to be leaving soon. Uh, as it turns out, speaking of transitions, um, my, <laughs> it's funny, you know, I was thinking the other day when you don't have a word for something, that's a pretty good sign that you're outgrowing the culture you were born into. When there's something very distinct that you want to say and you realize there's just not a word for it, um, there's something interesting and important happening in your mind and in your development. Um, the example I was thinking of was that this man, um, Nacho, uh, just recent, just died a couple days ago. I think I may have mentioned him a couple of times on the podcast. When Casilda and I left Spain in, uh, well, 2012, I guess it was, maybe 2013, um, we thought we were just leaving for a few months. And so we had a bunch of stuff. I had uh, furniture and, you know, all the crap that you accumulate in life. And uh, we were renting our place to a friend who is sort of a monk and um, 
very zen, and so he didn't want any of our furniture there. So we needed a place to store our furniture and and all our crap. And um, my ex, uh, Peggy, and I, I say my ex because... Uh, it's not clear whether she's an ex-girlfriend or an ex-wife or, or what she is. Um, we married, um, but really we wouldn't have married if the government hadn't required it for us to live together in San Francisco way back in the nineties. Um, you know, we, uh, there was no fraud involved. We were in love. We did live together. Uh, we had a relationship, but we were sort of forced into the marriage part of it by, um, regulations and visas and all that kind of stuff. So technically we were married, but I don't think either of us or, or our families ever really considered us married. We didn't have a big wedding or anything like that. Um, and when we, separated it was one of the most excruciating uh, experiences in my life because we didn't stop loving each other we just acknowledged that our lives were going in different directions and um, that the smart move was for us to clear space in each other's lives for other people who might be more compatible um we had been together for six years. She was, uh, yeah, an extraordinary person in my life. And uh, she was younger than me. She was about 10 years younger than me. And um, she was getting to the age. She was, I think, 20. I met her when she was 20, maybe 19. And she was 25, 26 at this point. And she wanted to have children. And she was getting uh, to the age where... You know, if you want to have kids, it's time to start thinking about it. And I didn't want to have kids. And um, and I didn't want someone to change the trajectory of their life in order to be with me, in order to make me happy and sort of, um, you know, I people need to live the life they want to live. So anyway, we uh, we went through this very painful uh, process of disentangling. Um, I think, uh, you know, we hide, we hide our grief and anger often at the end, of, at the ends of relationships when we blame each other, we blame ourselves, um, because anger is easier to deal with than grief. So I think often a lot of the anger that people express toward each other when they come to the end of the road is, is really just sort of shouting so that you'll drown out the weeping. And uh, Peggy and I didn't do that. So it was uh, a real growth process for me and sort of catapulted me into um, different ways of thinking about relationships and myself and um, just sort of dealing with uh, my expectations around relationships I'll talk about that uh, sometime in more detail. But the point is that I never stopped loving her and the love just sort of transitioned from that kind of partner erotic love into um, sibling love. And 
uh, Peggy became my sister and remains my sister to this day, or or something like a sister. See, this is this is where the language leaves me high and dry because she's not my sister, and I don't really think of her like I have a sister and I grew up with my sister I didn't meet Peggy until I was 30 um so we sort of use the closest word the closest approximation for something but it's not really accurate uh I love Peggy in a very different way than I love a sister I've you know we had a sexual connection for six years we uh you know, sort of thought about building a life together and so on. It's it's different. Um, but there's no word for it. So I'll just call her my sister. Anyway, shortly after we split up, Peggy met a guy, Nacho. And uh, Nacho was really just what she wanted. He was sort of, he ticked all the boxes I didn't. He was super good looking, uh, Spanish dude, looked like Antonio Banderas. He wanted to have kids. He, uh, his family had some money, so there was security. Um, And so for Peggy, I think the relationship with Nacho was kind of like a coming home after she had gone out on this wild ride with a crazy American English teacher with no money and, you know, just sort of living an adventure. This was uh, a coming home for her. And uh, they invited uh, Casilda and me to their wedding, which was fantastic. Um, and it was not not just the wedding itself was fantastic, but to be included and to be considered um, you know, just to be welcome. And, uh, Nacho never, never questioned, uh, whether he could trust me or Peggy. He never treated me like a threat. He never expressed any insecurity, um, or, uh, you know, sense of intimidation around me. Uh, in either direction. He didn't ever feel that he needed to defend himself against me. So I love the guy. Like a brother? I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, I don't have a brother, but uh, unless brothers have been in love with the same woman, I don't think... It's quite like a brother. So there's another word we're missing. Uh, The person who is in your family, whatever that family is, uh, if family is the people that you hold dearest in your life, um, but you met them as an adult, you're bonded by um, a sense of love and commitment to the same woman. What is that? What do we call that? I don't know, but I think we're poorer for not having words for these people um, and recognizing how important this kind of family is, this tribe or chosen family. 
And often there is a sexual component to these things or an erotic component uh, as we're, you know, form these relationships as adults. And, you know, I can honestly say um, Peggy is an incredibly beautiful woman and was then and is now. Um, But when our relationship changed, the erotic element of it just evaporated. And, um, you know, there's never, I mean, I'm a pretty erotic guy. I experience most things in, with some kind of erotic quality to them. Um, but in that sense, there is this sort of a, an incest, uh, taboo that kicked in for me and I've never felt, um, you know, there's never been a temptation or or that kind of uh, connection with her, which I guess Nacho sensed. And um, so it allowed us to trust each other and for him to trust me primarily and, and to not to know that he never had to worry about that, which, you know, honestly, even if I weren't cool, if you know your wife and you trust your wife, then, you know, you don't need to worry about these things. Um, anyway, so when Cassie and I left Barcelona, Nacho and Peggy took all our stuff and stored it all in their attic. They were living in a, a big house in the countryside. And, uh, they also took our three cats. Um, and they had two little kids. Uh, their son was maybe four and the other one was just a baby. And, uh, that's the kind of friends they were. They took our cats, they took our crap, they took everything and were like, you guys go have a good time. Don't worry about it. We'll take care of everything. And I remember uh, around that time, Nacho said something about, um, he was getting dizzy sometimes. Sometimes when he was driving, he felt dizzy and, uh, you know, we weren't sure what it was. Maybe he was smoking too much weed or, you know, he was, I remember he, he had some anxiety attacks sometimes and, um, but they went and saw some doctors and, uh, about a year after we left, he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, um, which as you may know, is a disease that presents in many different ways. In some people, it's sort of a minor issue, a slow decline. Uh, it's a neurological disease um, that can progress quite slowly. And in other cases, it progresses quite rapidly. Unfortunately, Nacho's case was the latter. And, um, you know, he went from being a vigorous, healthy uh, what was he at that point? He must've been around 40 <clears throat> and, um, two, two sons, kids, as I said, little kids, uh, he went from participating in that life to unable to speak or get out of bed within four years, five years, maybe. Um, yeah. So all this is to say that, um, Nacho died yesterday, and um, so I'm going to fly to Spain 
this weekend and spent a few days with Peggy. Um, so you might not hear from me for a while because I'm going to be moving around a lot in the next couple of weeks. Um, after Spain, come back just a couple of days here, getting the rest of the stuff into storage, and then flying to Maui uh, with some friends, and then um, I'm going to go to Southeast Asia for the winter with um, Anya Katz, who is, uh, she and I are going to work on a book project together in Thailand. So uh, it might I might not get a chance to do another one of these until Thailand. I'm not sure. Um, anyway, we need... We need words for these people. All right, let's get some musical relief, lighten the mood a little bit here. Um, this is a song uh, by a guy named Colin Crevero. I met him when he drove down from, I think he was living in Victoria, B.C., drove down to Portland um, in order to do my silly little podcast had all sorts of adventures on the way. I think the car broke down. I don't remember the specifics, but uh, we sat in the park. He had his couple of guitars. Uh, we talked, and he played, and it was, um, yeah, it was a beautiful day. Uh, I was really honored that he made all that effort to come down and, and play for me. Uh, he's got a new record out. Uh, let's see. Uh, Lotus is the name of this song. And they're, I guess, officially released. I don't know. I'm reading his email that looks like they came out in at the end of November. So everything is out. I'm going to play a song called Lotus. You can learn more about uh, Colin and his music at salecassidy.bandcamp.com. That's sail, like a sailboat, S-A-I-L, and then Cassidy, C-A-S-S-A-D-Y dot bandcamp dot com. Or you can check him out on Spotify as well. The band is Sail Cassidy. And the dude is Colin Crevero, and the song is Lotus. Hope you dig it. Seems to many stars break bread above you Is he on steam? Makes the ship go steering in a different way How long are you here before you set off alone? How long are you here before you set off alone? Hey, little singer, dance to the moon. Seems the Milky Way spits shapes above you. Is it your dreams that sent you here before you were ever born? How far will you go before you call it home? How far will you go? Before you call it home 
Your halo is golden Apparently his grace was written on his face Cause it's fantasy And it's where he sleeps You Stars break bread above you. Is it your steam? Makes your ship go steering in a different way. How long are you here before you set off alone? How far will you go before you call it? That's Colin Carvero, and the band is Sale Cassidy, S-A-I-L-C-A-S-S-A-D-Y. That's also the handle on Instagram where you can find Colin and more of his music. Uh, I, you know, in in packing up, I found uh, a bunch of old journals and actually found a list that I had made uh, a couple of years ago of possible topics for Toma episodes. Uh, I get emails from people sometimes asking for more of those. And I just want to tell you, man, I've got there like 40 or 45 different topics um, that I have on that list. So I transferred the list online. I've got it. And uh, I hope to be getting back to that and do some more of those. Toma, for those of you who don't know, it stands for talking out my ass. And these are episodes where I tell stories from my travels and youth and, um, you know, just sort of, I'm too lazy to write a memoir. So I just speak it into a microphone and hope somebody will print it someday, probably, (laughs) or just that this is a better way of recording those thoughts and memories and insights. Um, so yeah, I'll be getting back to that. I hope, I know I make promises that I often don't follow through on, but my intention is to do more Thomas down the road a little bit. Okay. Uh, here's something I was thinking about recently. I was having a conversation with a friend the other night and, um, we were talking about, uh, I think it was sex. It might've been something else. Anyway, he said, I, I said something about how I never get bored with whatever it was we were talking about. And he said, ah, there's never enough, huh? And I knew what he meant. Um, but something about that struck me as wrong because it, if you say there's never enough of something in your life, it implies that you're always dissatisfied. It reminds me of, there was this ad a few years ago this dude walking through the house he's like a, a dad you know and he's got a couple of kids and he's he's walking around it was a cadillac commercial and it was all about like you know yeah okay over in france they have cheese but you know what we're the ones we we innovate we make this we do that and he like high fives his kid as he walks by him just 
total douchebag. Um, but he's being presented as like, hey, America, we work hard. Yeah, we take a week off at most. But you know what? We get shit done. That's why I drive a fucking Cadillac. He's got that kind of vibe. Um, and one of the things I think the tagline was like, you know, Cadillac for people who, who say never enough. You know, that's what nah, that's us. And it's like, yeah, no, I don't I don't vibe with that dude at all or that message. And it occurred to me. But a better way to describe what I was feeling was not never enough, but never too much. Uh, that, you know, there's a the difference between being always unsatisfied versus always pretty satisfied. Um, and I think that's how I come down on these these issues. It's not that there's never enough. There's always enough. It's that there's not too much. There's never too much. I can always have more. I can always, you know, um, enjoy another conversation with a good friend. I can always enjoy another sunset, another night of looking at the stars like Oscar when you miss your train. Um, it's not that I'm dissatisfied when I don't have you know the wine the women the song the stars the fire it's that when i do i'm not saturated and so i think that's it just occurs to me that that's a subtle but important difference in how we frame experience never enough you're always dissatisfied never too much you're always where you want to be uh yeah, I, when I was traveling in the van this summer, I felt that. Sorry, that was the dryer. Just went off. Um, you know, I was five months jumping in rivers and sitting by fires and looking at scenery and just digging life. Um, and I didn't feel like it was never enough. I felt like it was always enough. But I wanted to keep going because it was never too much. It reminds me of a distinction that uh, Kundera makes in The Unbearable Lightness of Being. I think he's talking about um, womenizers, as it was translated into English. And if I remember correctly, it was the distinction between epic and romantic, I think was the terminology. I, I, may, be, I may be mixing that up, but it's translated anyway, so who knows in the original French. Um, but his point was that some men look at women and they're, uh, they're on a quest for the perfect woman. So each woman that they encounter is ultimately disappointing because she's not perfect, because she's not this, you know, angelic uh, embodiment of all the different female qualities that this guy's into. And so they're sort of constantly disappointed and and you know never satisfied and that that's a never enough kind of approach which some women find very attractive strangely um because they think i'm the one i i'm the one when he gets to know me he's gonna see what a real woman is and that's gonna you know end his journey of course it never works that way um, because a lot of the things that guys like that are looking for are mutually exclusive, you know, internally contradictory. Um, they want, you know, the Madonna and the whore. They want, uh, 
you know, the woman who's smarter than him so she can help him and guide him and yet stupider than him so he can, you know, get away with his bullshit and whatever. Um, so that journey never ends, but that's the, that's the romantic. That's the uh, looking for the ideal, the never enough, the epic, uh, lover of women on the other hand is never dissatisfied because what he's interested in is the differences between women, the, the quirkiness, the, the individuality, the unexpected, the surprising, so for that guy, it's never too much. That guy's always happy, no matter who the woman is, no matter what her um, her her negative qualities may be, her her in, inadequacies, her uh, strangenesses, her weaknesses, her her a- emptinesses. Um, those are all interesting uh, because he's not looking for perfection. He's just looking for more. He's looking for difference. He's looking for variety. And so that approach to life, it seems to me, is ultimately uh, far healthier um, because whatever life throws at you is interesting. And um, including grief, uh, you know, where I am right now, uh, it's you're alive. It's interesting. Um, you know, if what you're looking for is perfection, a, you're never going to find it. And B, even if you find something close to it, it won't last long. So it seems to me that a much wiser approach to life is not to look for perfection, not to look for ideal situations or people or whatever, but to nourish your appetite for variety and change and the unexpected and uh, to roll with that. Okay, let's get some more music in here. This is a song uh, by a band called Gypsy Chicken. Uh, It's two women, uh, Joanna and uh, let's see. They're two girls. Uh, one is Polish, one's American. They're living in Norway. And uh, they sent me this song a few days ago. Joanna Kraft. She doesn't say what the other woman's name is, but they're from an anti-folk band called Gypsy Chicken. And the song uh, is called 13 Billion Years. And it's uh, quirky and interesting, and I dig it. I hope you do, too. Gypsy Chicken, you can find them on Spotify. And um, I don't do Spotify, but they tell me it works. So you can stream Gypsy Chicken on Spotify if you dig this tune. This one's called 13 Billion Years. Calls alone, I even themes, it's bearing fruits of different colors. 
Christmas None of them ever can taste the same Some bring you happiness Some sorrow stir up the demons that you tamed sweet huh gypsy chicken check them out on soundcloud or uh spotify yeah all right um there's an interesting conversation going on right now on reddit uh i'm not a big reddit guy but since there's this uh, tangentially speaking subreddit i go in there uh there uh, looks like over five thousand members um, people who drop in and talk about stuff. I'll, I'll read you uh, some of the things that people post articles and whatever, but um, it's a conversation right now. What's the perfect zoo for humans uh, film recommendations. There's a link to a video I did recently with uh, Jimmy door uh, people saying, Hey, I live in Pittsburgh. Anybody want to get together uh, requests for um different guests and so anyway i drop in and say hello occasionally which is kind of weird because you know people are there talking with each other about me and the podcast and so i kind of feel like i'm intruding in a way sometimes you know if somebody's like oh you know he told that stupid story again about his you know whatever and like i don't know should i say say something or not um but when uh you know there's a conversation about um 
you know, people asking questions or, you know, have you read this book or did you see this film? What'd you think? It's a nice place to engage with people. Anyway, so somebody posted recently uh, the question, what does everyone do for work? And there are over a hundred replies now. And it's really, it's just interesting to, to see what people are doing and, um, and also to see how people interact. It's, you know, some people are going through a hard time and it's, it's cool to see that they're getting support. Um, and, um, so it's, it's fascinating. If you do Reddit, I, I highly recommend it. You check it out. Um, you know, people, some people have done all sorts of different things. Uh, this guy was painting and then gardening and then working in pubs. And it just sort of goes through the whole thing. Uh, next guy on the list or person on the list was an anesthesiologist uh, working with um, people with chronic pain. And so there's some conversation there. What kind of pain? What what do you uh, run into? Uh, next person, I teach eighth grade English to a bunch of monsters I absolutely adore. They keep me going when I think the world is too full of shit. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a story I'll tell in Roma when I taught high school briefly. That was crazy. Um, yeah, teacher and a writer. I used to write advertising, which basically meant spending every working minute trying not to scream. I hate you and I hate that I have to sell your goddamn product. At least let me sell it right. Uh, and then this person says, eventually sing, sitting at a desk all day, clenching the butthole of my soul burned me out. I got physically and emotionally sick and have spent almost three years trying to figure out how to get better. Yeah, I understand that. So um, there's some engagement with that person talking about the road forward. Um Here's someone retired from policing after 15 years and drive trucks now. Much less stress, even though it doesn't pay as much. No more nights away from the family. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so if you do, if you do um, Reddit, check out the Tangentially Speaking subreddit and uh, drop in and, you know, tell us about your life, what you do, how you get by, what it's like. All right. I think I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, I have to go to the airport and pick up my buddy, Justin, from episode 99. Uh, he's coming down to uh, attend the, the Motherfucker Awards, which are tomorrow, Tuesday, December 4th or 3rd, I guess it is. And um, yeah, Justin, if you listen to episode 99, you'll hear that he's a firefighter in Portland. Um and um, he's stopped working. Uh, I don't know if he's officially quit or retired or if he's on hiatus or what. But, um, you know, I think when we look back or whoever is alive 100 years from now and looks back, one of the things that they'll be mystified by is why we forced firefighters, doctors, nurses, um, people that we're really relying on why we force them to fuck up their sleep schedules. I mean, Justin's been a firefighter for, I don't know, 15 years or more. And in 15 years, he hasn't been able to get into a regular sleep pattern because the shifts keep changing. Um, that's insane. That's like forcing someone to sniff glue or something. It's 
totally corrosive to the brain, to the health, to the immune system. It stresses the body in horrible ways. And yet we're expecting these people to make split second decisions, to be sharp all the time, to, you know, pull us out of our fucked up wrecked car when we smash into a tree. These are the people we expect to come and help us in moments of crisis. And yet we won't let them sleep. We won't let them get into uh, a natural, healthy rest rhythm. Uh, Same thing with doctors. Whose idea was it to make medical students work 50 hours at a time without sleeping? That's insane. It's not only bad for the doctors. These are the people who are supposed to be guiding us toward a healthy life. And the educational system prohibits them from living a healthy life themselves. It's it makes no sense at all. It's as as ridiculous and um, tragic as our prison system. We know punishment doesn't work. We know it. There's no question about it. And yet our penal system is set up to penalize people, to punish them. It's not set up to rehabilitate them. It's not set up to remove the structural causes of violence against property or human beings or animals. It's not set up to mitigate the problem. It's set up to scratch some dark itch that we have to punish. And we ignore the fact that scratching that itch does not help society. In fact, it demonstrably harms society and, in fact, generates the very problem we're pretending we're addressing. The science is clear. There's no question about this. It's just as clear that abstinence-only sex ed programs do not reduce teen pregnancy, do not reduce transmission rates of of, uh, sexually transmitted diseases. The science is clear. We know that. What does reduce those things? Talking openly about sexuality with kids, making condoms available free uh, at schools, at pharmacies, wherever. That's what works. We know that. The science is undisputed. And yet, the federal government of this strange country of mine uh, continues to fund abstinence-only sex ed to the tune of tens of millions of dollars a year. It makes no sense. It's very strange. It's as if we were funding research into, um, you know, building feather wings so that we could jump off mountains and fly, despite the fact that nobody's ever flown jumping off a mountain with feather wings. Uh, it just makes no sense whatsoever. So I don't know. That's my rant. One of my rants. I'm going to finish this uh, by playing a song by a guy who listen to the podcast. I don't know if he still does. I think his name was Mark Boyd, but the band is Bimini Road. And uh, he sent me the song years ago, and uh, it's in my playlist. I hear it all the time. Uh, it's in my five-star playlist. And I. it's so good that, uh, you know, all these songs are so good. I don't think of them as like, you know, inferior uh, 
tunes sent to me by, uh, you know, unfamous, unimportant artists. I, they're just mixed in there with the Red Hot Chili Peppers and the Stones and the Beatles and U2 and, you know, Peter Gabriel. And they just play in random shuffle. And uh, these are just as good as the others. So this is one of my favorite songs. It's called The Mark of a Good Man, and it's by Bimini Road. B-I-M-I-N-I Road. You can find his stuff on Spotify and Bandcamp and all the other places. And, um, yeah, this is for you, Nacho. Nacho. 